Worship was so good today. Mm -hmm. When I found out I was sharing today, it's you go to what you're hearing. And uh, even though what I'm hearing is not entirely harvest, I really do think it lays a foundation for harvest. When we begin to think about a time of harvest, you know, there are lots of different emotions happen in us. And, you know, people begin to respond with a feeling or uncertainty. Um, a lot of us are already living lives so busy that adding something else into what we're doing feels overwhelming. There are times that we, we, we just, we feel the pressure of, you know, an uncomfortableness that somehow we're going to have to do something outside of our gift. Um, we, get, we get in these times where, you know, we really do know that God's wanting something, but, you know, my personality isn't that, so we check ourselves out. So what I want to do this morning is I just, I want to go through a, a principle in Scripture that will help position us for the harvest. And what I'm going to, what I'm calling this morning is, would be titled, if you want to title it, it'd be duty or delight. Are we doing this thing out of duty or are we doing this out of delight? There's a huge difference. I spent most of my life pleasing people and even leading the church and being a missionary from duty. And what I quite quickly found out is duty only lasts so long. And if we're not careful, we start burning out on the things that we really did want to do because we're doing them from a position that's drawing life from us instead of giving life to us. And so I want to walk through this this morning, and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to really work in us as a body of people this morning, that at the end of, the end of this morning, I want to give an invitation for the body of Christ to break out of duty and into delight. And I don't know how far I'm going to get. I got a little carried away. I probably have about two hours of notes for this morning. And so I'm not going to try to race through them. Um, we actually may carry this on in my next one this month. But uh, turn with me first to uh, Psalms. I have it on the screen, but it doesn't hurt for you to look as well. In Psalms chapter 37, verse 4, David says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The, the Hebrew word that's used there actually means to incline toward, to be pleased with, to desire, to take pleasure in. The, the literal meaning of the word is actually to bend. Uh, and and it's, it's actually where Evan Roberts got the idea of his prayer when leading up to the, the beginning of the Welsh Revival. Um, he, he began to hear the word 100,000, or, or the phrase 100,000 souls, and he began to believe for 100,000 souls in, in, in Wales. And, and it just, it seems so far beyond possibility. And in that, in that transition from this is impossible to this is, this is possible, he actually used a phrase that he'd heard in a sermon, and the phrase was, bend me, Lord. Bend me, Lord. Bend me so that your will, your purpose, your number can become my number. And out of that, you know, we get over the next period, we, you know, God came and there's a Welsh revival and there were 100,000 souls brought into the kingdom through that revival. But just that idea that delight is a bending. It's a bending toward. It's a, it's a movement toward who he is and away from who we are. So when we delight in him, we're saying, God, I, I want to be bent so that I am aligned with your purpose and your will and what you're doing in this hour. I don't want to be caught with what I want to happen. I want, I want to be caught up with what you're doing. I think the challenge we face in the church right now is there are a lot of people that want the desires of their heart 
without the discipline of delight, the discipline of being bent. There's a lot of people pursuing the desires of their heart without becoming a people of delight. And you'll never get the desires of your heart until we come to that place where, where we voluntarily surrender our will to his will. You know, if you're a good Baptist, and I, that was my background, for a good Baptist, that's lordship. You know, you come to that moment of crisis in your life where you surrender as Lord and you, you give him, the, make him the Lord of your life. That happened for me when I was about 18 years old. I had an encounter with him that caused me to lay my will down and pick his will up. If you're, if you're a good assembly of God, brother or sister, then that actually is the baptism of the Spirit, is the moment where lordship actually replaces and he comes onto the throne of your life. The truth is both are true. <laughs> both are true. It's not one or the other. Both are true. But we just have ways of describing it and defining it. And the, the surrender of our will, and, and one of the reasons tongues is so important in, in, in the Pentecostal arena as a sign is it's a surrender of your will to speak in tongues. It's a surrender of your will to let go, and that it, it's a deliberate act, and that's an incredibly important act. Um, I, I actually believe both are true. I know that I had a lordship encounter before I was baptized in the Spirit, but when I was baptized in the Spirit, there are things left my life that had held me captive for years. And so I, both, both are actually true. But it's that moment for each of us when we say, God, I want to delight in you as the priority of my life, not as a sideline on Sunday morning. I want to delight in you as a lifestyle, as a way I live, as a way I respond. David said this, I delight to do thy will, O God. Thy law is within my heart. And I just, I'm fascinated by, by David because David, under the law, learned to operate in delight. Isn't that incredible? We should read through the Psalms. Um, he anticipated a place of intimacy that we have through grace. We can access through grace. But he was actually anticipating. He was taking it in advance of it being available. He lived in this place of delight, even though the law was still the, the, the foundation of, of, of their belief structure and, and even of their worship. David went beyond that and anticipated this thing of grace where you can have intimacy. And his lifestyle of intimacy was so profound that he's looked back on as a man after God's heart. He actually got so close in delight that he becomes a man after God. That's not a perfect man. Lots of mess-ups through his whole life. But he delighted, and the delighted set his identity as being a man after God's heart. Delighting is not that you suddenly get everything perfect. Delight is that you set a priority as your will becomes over my will. I am bent to do your will, even if that your will is uncomfortable, even if it doesn't feel good. I mean, what's, what's Paul doing when Agabus comes to him and ties his hands and says, you know, if you go to Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. What, what, what happens in the mind of a Paul? If you're concerned for your life, you stay home. If you delight in the Lord, you go to Rome. Because it isn't about my will. It's about his will. It's about an obedience to what he's doing. And, and right now, we're in a season as a nation where God's calling on the body of Christ to shake off the self-centered desires of our hearts and tie our desires strictly to his will. And the moment you tie your desires to his will, something absolutely supernatural begins to happen in your life. You begin to engage in a level of fellowship and intimacy and freedom that was unimaginable before that. For us, a lifestyle of delight is born out of intimacy and dependence on the Holy Spirit. The more intimate and dependent you are on the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to live a lifestyle of delight. And the effect of delighting is in him is that we actually get shaped into his image by the power of his grace. 
Grace begins to work in us, and that grace that works in us literally shapes us into the image of Christ. The verse that, that I tie to that is, for of his fullness we've received grace upon grace. Of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. When you delight in him, when you are bent toward him, you literally are transformed by the power of his grace at work in our lives. And we've got to yield ourselves to that grace for that transforming work to happen. Come over in the New Testament for a minute. Paul says to Timothy, who has saved us, has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus. So if taking that scripture is accurate, it means every believer is born again into a call and commissioned to fill a purpose. There's no believer that is outside of the call of God. There's no believer that doesn't have a purpose to be fulfilled. There's no, not a one of us that hasn't been commissioned to do something for the purpose of God. No one. There, there's, no, there's no spectators in this thing. Every single individual is called and commissioned. If you're born again, you're called and you're commissioned. The question for us is, how do we fulfill our commission? How, how do we begin to see that happening? We're told in that verse that the holy calling comes from the Father's heart, and it's enabled by grace. It comes from his purpose and grace. But in that verse, there's also a warning that we need to look at closely. And that's, that warning is kind of where I want to focus this morning. He warns this that success doesn't come by works. It comes by purpose and grace. So what he's saying is he's outlining two opposing ways that we can seek to fulfill our destiny. And I would suggest that every believer is in one of these two ways. The first is from duty, birthed in works, and sustained by our own self-effort and discipline. Anybody been there? Good. Rest of you lying. <laughs> the second way is from delight, birthed in intimacy, and sustained by his purpose and grace. This is really, really, really important. Because this is the turning point on which the way you're going to fulfill your call hinders. Too many times we're working really hard to make it happen, and we can't figure out why it's not working. It's not working because it's tied too much to our self-effort and too much to our disciplines. Now, I believe in disciplines. I believe disciplines are necessary for our life. But disciplines don't get me to the goal. Intimacy gets me to the goal. Disciplines are in place to sustain intimacy. It's not the other way around. Too many people are trying to be disciplined to get intimate instead of being intimate and letting disciplines flow out of intimacy. It literally is that duty or delight. Which one are you going to live by? How are you going to shape, how are you going to shape your life? How, how are you going to walk out the call of God that's on your life? Our challenge is that duty is the law. Masquerading as responsibility where we strive to be accepted. So duty becomes the law we're trying to keep. And it, it's masquerading as obedience. It's masquerading as, as other things, but it, it's not. It's us gutting it out, trying to make this thing happen. Duty binds us to a performance mindset and then condemns us because we're failing it. Y'all been there? You set those goals for yourself and then you don't meet those goals and there's no celebration of what you did do. It's all yuck because you didn't quite meet it. So how do we know? 
if we moved out of delight and into duty? How do we know? I'm going to walk through these kind of slowly, but you will have these notes online, so don't try to get everything written down here or you'll get lost. Measure yourself, measure yourself against these statements. Duly looks on ministry as just another commitment or obligation to fulfill. Delight looks at ministry as an opportunity to lay down our life for others. Where do you fit? Where do you fit? Sometimes maybe we fit in both. You know, how does it feel when somebody asks you to take on yet another responsibility and you already feel overwhelmed? What kicks in due to your delight? What motivates us? Duty feels threatened by suggestions or criticism and responds with resentment. Delight is grateful for feedback because the goal is the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> Don't you love correction? Don't you love sound people when somebody comes back and tells you it's too loud and then the next person tells you it needs to be louder and then the next person. It, don't you just love it. I know none of you would ever do that to sound people, but I'm told that that, I, I heard a laugh from upstairs. <laughs> but I'm told that that's common for sound people to have that experience. <laughs> Duty demotivates causing us to put in only the effort required to maintain. If you're stuck and you just, you just don't seem to be getting forward, check and see if what you're doing is out of duty. Because duty is very quick demotivator. It actually causes us to just, it's it just there's no life in it. It just feels like dead works. Whereas delight motivates us to put in maximum effort and aim at excellence. See, the, the, the beauty of delight is that you're not measured by your performance, you're measured by your intimacy. And so, I'm really not bothered that online today the words of the songs had a green tinge to them. I think it looks kind of cool. <laughs> We're not going to get upset at somebody because we didn't get the settings quite right. Why? Because this is about delight, not duty. Now, we can aim at excellence. We can aim at getting it perfect every time. But the, the end product is, was the presence of God there in what we did? And if, if he was there, then we're okay. Duty or delight. Duty becomes a taskmaster that, that just pounds excellence to the point where we just we have no energy left to do anything. Delight will cause us to judge others who don't put in as much effort as we do. I mean, duty will cause us. Sorry. I've got myself in trouble already. Duty will cause us to judge others who don't put in as much effort as we do. Delight shoulders the extra load and joyfully extends grace to others. And what's your response when I mean, we sent out a text to the elders today and we, we'd had to do some change in the lights and the projector and a few things kind of last minute on Friday and the chairs were just scrambled everywhere. And so we put a text to the elders and asked them to all come in at 8 o'clock this morning and help us get the chairs back. When Philip walked in this morning, they were done. The guy that cleans the building came in and put all these chairs back in place by himself during the night. <laughs> what do you feel when you're here in the middle of the night putting all these chairs back in order? Is it duty or delight? Is it duty or delight? 
we can quickly measure where we are by our responses when things happen. And everyone in the room, you've had things happen where these kind of emotions rise up in us. Duty feels threatened by the gifts or abilities of others. Duty is afraid of losing position. Delight feels secure in their identity and actually finds their greatest pleasure in releasing others. Probably for me, one of the greatest shifts from duty to delight for me personally as a leader in the body of Christ was I used to sit there feeling like I should be up there speaking. And then over the years, I realized I was having way more fun listening to my spiritual kids do it than I ever had doing it myself. There's something happens when you shift to delight that it's just no longer about performance, no longer about what you have to do or don't have to do. It's, it's a shift of identity where our delight is in him. And suddenly he gives us the desires of the heart because our delight's in him. Our will surrendered. Where am I? Thank you. <laughs> Did I give the delight side of that one? Yeah. Wow. My brain is tired. Sandra, maybe you should have done this one today. Duty wants to quit under pressure of adversity or discouragement. Have you ever been there? It's just too hard. I mean, there are times, multiple times in our life, where the easier thing would have been to walk away. When we started Day Spring, the easiest thing would have been to walk away. We were leaving Springfield and we we're going to shake the depths of Springfield off our feet. And we were never ever coming back to this city. And Philip's roommate's mother called from Seattle, Washington. Woke up on Saturday night and said, your dad, tell your roommate's dad, I have a word for him. He's going to be voted out of his church tonight. But every prophetic word spoken over that ch church goes with him to the church he's to plant in the same city. It was one of the hardest duty nights I've had in my life. Because I did not want to do it. I... Hated is too strong. Detested is about right. Springfield. I had no love for this. And God had to be. Had no love for the people of this city. And God had to begin to break something in here. And we can say we delight. Amen. I remember several years ago, Dutch Sheet was preaching in this room and Sally and I had long since got past the disdain for Springfield. And we, if anybody asked, we would have said we love Springfield. And then Dutch Sheets was speaking and prophesying. He began to prophesy over Springfield. And I don't remember any of the prophecy, either, but the one phrase that he used over and over and over and over. And the one phrase he used was, my beloved Springfield. And I'm sitting there listening to Dutch. And every time he says, my beloved Springfield, I'm thinking, I would never say that. My beloved Springfield, I would never say that. My beloved Springfield. And it just started going all over me. But by the end of his prophetic word, another layer was broken off. Where I can say, my beloved Springfield. Sally and I have bought our grave plots here in Springfield. Not because we're particularly wanting to die here, but because we have a stake in this place. We want to see revival happen in this place. So under pressure, how do you respond? Duty 
wants to quit. Delight digs in because we're anchored in his presence. I remember about four o'clock in the morning that morning, Sal, wasn't, Sal was down in Louisiana at that point. But I finally just surrendered and said, not my will, but your will. And in that moment, I got flooded with such a sense of his presence. And Dayspring was birthed out of that encounter of surrendering our will. Because it's his presence that matters, not how difficult it is. Duty becomes self-focused, making us blind to the needs of others. So easy to do. Delight looks outward, praying for others and looking for opportunity to help. When you're in duty, you don't have a capacity to help many other people. Because your, your, your emotional energy is being taken up by this, just keeping yourself doing what you're supposed to be doing. When you switch from duty and delight, you tap into an absolute bottomless resource of grace and presence and power. And suddenly you're doing out of presence, not out of burning your own energy. And that shift to, to living out of his life and out of his joy and out of his peace and out of his compassion literally changes the way you behave. And you realize this is non-burnout stuff because there's, a, there's an endless reserve of his power and his presence no matter what's going on around us. It's time to shift out of duty and into delight. How many are seeing maybe a shift necessary in some areas? That A few of you. Okay, good. Duty shrinks back from resolving relational contact conflict because we're afraid of being hurt. Delight is healthy enough to be able to resolve conflict and preserve the unity of the body. If you're pulling back from conflict, you're probably operating out of duty because there's, you've been hurt enough that you just want to, don't want to stick your hand in that thing anymore. You don't want to be in that place anymore. Anybody identify with that? Duty finds its main fulfillment in doing and in the exercise of their gift. We, we frequently have people who are desperate for their gift to be used. And actually, we're a body that loves to use people's gift. But the challenge is when your identity is tied up with your gift, it's actually hard to use your gift. Delight finds its fulfillment in being, not doing, and ministers from the presence. So when we operate in delight, no matter what our role is, no matter what our call is, no matter what our gift is, no matter, no matter what our position is, no matter what it is God's placed in your hand to do, when you operate out of delight, you're operating out of his presence. And there's a release of power that comes when we shift to that. And just, I think every one of us in this room vacillates between duty and delight. I, I actually think there, there, we're all at times catch ourselves in the duty mentality. But God wants us more and more to live from delight as, as the mainstay of how we live our life. Duty can't handle being stretched. They're held captive by the fear of failure. When you're, when you're in duty, you're afraid to take a risk because failure isn't an option. When you're in delight, you can t willingly take a risk of faith because your identity is secure. Your identity is not tied to performance. Your identity is tied to his presence. And so as a son or a daughter of the king, we can take crazy risks. And watch God do amazing things and, and surround us with his presence. And so as we enter this time of harvest, it just, it's, it's really important that we make the shift back to drawing everything that we have and everything that we are from his presence. Back to our key verse in Timothy. We're called not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace. 
if we operate from delight, we will never extend past grace and resort to duty. If we operate in delight, we will never extend past grace. Now, I was going to put these up separate, but I wanted just to put them there for you to have to, to take away and consider. I, I want to look at some of the reasons we slip out of delight and back into duty. First, grace is hindered by works. Works actually get in the way of grace. When I shift to a duty mindset, it's actually hard to find grace. And one of the ways you can know if somebody's operating in their calling correctly is do they have the grace for what they're doing? Because Scripture tells us that, that the grace is given for the, me the measure of grace is given for the calling that we've been, that we've been put into. So that measure of grace is there. The grace should always be there. There should never be a shortage of grace in what we're doing. My biggest warning light, and you know, we, all, we all have warning lights on our dashboard. My biggest warning light that I'm shifting out of delight and into duty is when I feel my grace slipping. The moment I feel that, something's out. I've either overcommitted or I'm... I'm doing this out of a wrong motive or there's something I, I have to pull back say okay God where where did I shift out and back into the wrong mindset because if I'm doing this in presence there should always be the grace that makes sense grace is damaged by pride the moment we feel like we now have it or we're God's gift to humanity or you know, our gift has the correct word or, you know, everybody needs to listen to my prophetic word. Um, I'm not knocking prophecy. Believe in it. I'm talking about duty or delight. You can listen to a prophetic word and a few words in, you know if it's coming out of duty or delight. You know if it's coming with that heartbeat of heaven that, that's bringing life. 2018, it was Charlie Shamp had a word. And uh, the word was that coming soon, there will be a woman appointed to the Supreme Court. And her name will be Deborah. And when Deborah is appointed to the Supreme Court, it will release women across the United States to step up into their destiny and become who they're called to be. And the moment Amy was confirmed, I just began to hear the Deborah sound released across our nation as, as the women of God, as the women of the body of Christ rise up into a season of delight where we're not striving to be who we are. We're, we're just, we're living out of a delight in his presence and our, the voice of women is going to be heard in this next season in the most incredible way. It's like a turning point in, in history, and there's a, a defining moment that releases the Deborah anointing across the nation. And I, I just, I, I really believe this is an incredible time. It's the moment I was looking for for the last four years. It was the moment I was looking for. Was that you could put a pin? That's it. So, how do we find our way back to delight and living out of His purpose and grace? Affected by speech. I should have probably gone through that. Affected by speech. Go back there. This is really important. Watch your words. Just measure yourself in a conversation when the conversation begins to turn critical about a person or situation and the way that your own grace level just begins to drop. We've got to watch what we talk about. We've got to watch the things that come out of our mouth. It, it's not even a truth, not truth issue. It, it's, 
watch what you say because your speech affects your grace. And very quickly as men and women of the body of Christ, we can shift out of living in his delight into living from duty. And now we feel like we have to go fix it. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The moment you recognize that you begin to stray back into duty, that's the moment to say, oh God, I just humble myself before you. I need to know why I'm doing this. What am I doing? Where's this going wrong? Where have I, where have I got my brain wrong again? And we just move back into that place of living in the delight of his presence. Just a few of the Old Testament statements. The, the New Testament word for, there's not a direct translation of delight over into the New Testament, but desire would be the closest. Several places talking about our heart's desire or that desire, the, those things would be a New Testament way of describing this. But David said this, greater the works of the Lord, they are studied by all who delight in them. If you're going to find your way back to delight, we've got to recognize that duty studies to prepare for a task, but delight studies to prepare our hearts. Too many times our preparation looks spiritual because we're doing a lot of work, but it actually is coming out of a duty to prepare for something rather than a preparation of our own heart to be ready to do what God's called us to do. And there's a desperate need in us to have more heart preparation time. That's where the discipline protects the delight. The discipline protects our time with him, our quiet time, our alone time, our intimacy time. Duty substitutes busyness for fellowship in the word and with the Holy Spirit. We're busy, so we feel like we're doing God's work. But really, we're just busy. And then we wonder why we're running out of grace. We're wondering why we don't have the energy we need, the fellowship, the, 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 the word that we need. That just It feels dead and empty inside because we slip back into duty. I love Jeremiah's statement. He said, thy words were found and I ate them. <laughs> he... Thy words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. And the context of that verse is actually Isaiah, um, Jeremiah's prayer. And in the prayer, he's talking about the call, God's call on his life. And it, it, your word, your call, that that, that you spoke, I, I eat that. And that's become a delight to me. And how much right now we need as a body of people. We're called as believers in this nation to, to usher in an awakening. We're called to be a people of revival. We're called to carry his power and presence. We're called to, to, to have a voice in the midst of so much going on around us. But if, if we're not eating the word, if we're not staying in his life, we're going to be doing whatever we do out there out of duty. And it's ineffective because it's just doing because we feel we have to do it. But what if, as a body of Christ, we began to eat his word? If we, if we, we, we captured the idea of the call of God and surrendering our will to his. And like Isaiah, we, we, got, we ate the word so much that it becomes the joy and delight in us. What does it look like for the body of Christ to be so full of joy and delight because of the word God's spoken that we live off the energy of that word. We live off the life of that word. We live off the power of that word because that word is a living, active work inside of us. It's no longer about how hard I work. It's how much I worship. It's how intimate we become. And out of that, we will work. Trust me. 
I've worked harder in ministry than I ever worked in any other arena. Longer hours for sure. But it's got to come from somewhere. Not just from our ability to do it. David also said this, your testimonies are my delight. They are my advisors. I love it. We are so preoccupied with what isn't happening in our lives, in our city, in our state, in our nation. We get so preoccupied with what isn't happening that we forget what God's done. And David says that his, the testimonies, the remembering of what God's done is the life source for believing what he can do. So when Saul hands David his armor, says, put this on. David's immediate mind response to Saul's armor was, there was a lion and I killed it. There was a bear and I killed it. Goliath's no different than the lion and the bear. I don't need this stuff. Somehow the testimony of what God's done empowers us and emboldens us to step out in the next season. Duty doesn't have the power to move you forward. But delight, there's no end to where you can go. There's no ceiling to what God can do through you. We've got to break out of duty, church. We've got to break in out of, out of duty and begin to live in the presence of God because you cannot sustain from duty. Many of us have tried. Of course, none of this is personal to us. You know, I mean, this is all. The challenge for us is when we focus on, on what isn't working, particularly as men, we shift into a fix-it mode. And men, your fix-it mode is duty. And we think we're fixing it, but we're missing his presence. Now, I, I'm not telling you to stop fixing things. I spent my life fixing things. But the problem with me fixing things is that the only way I could get affirmation from my father was to fix things that I shouldn't be fixing. Because every time I went beyond what a 12 or 13 year old was supposed to be able to do that was the only time I ever got affirmation so I learned very very young that the best way to do this is just do crazy stuff all the time fixing stuff but it, just duty masquerading as satisfaction Somehow we have to break past that mindset and allow the Spirit of God to be the one that directs what we do and how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, how we, how we invest in the next generation. Can't come out of duty. One of the greatest blocks to the next generation stepping into their calling is my generation holding on to things too long. Duty. Duty, 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 duty. But delight actually empowers the next generation to do it better and go further than you've gone. We're in a season right now where most of what we would call the Revival Alliance churches that are kind of in the same vein we're in, most of those churches are in the generational transfer right now. And the ones that are working well are the ones that have dealt with pride, dealt with duty, 
and have begun to relax and let others take it. It's a daily discipline for me to do that. You have to ask Phil how well I'm doing on that one. <laughs> Give me your heart, my son. And let your eyes delight in my ways. If we're going to stay in delight, we've got to be careful what we let our eyes look at. And that Spectrum is from news media all the way down through all the stuff that's being spoken down to things that you shouldn't be watching on television. You shouldn't be accessing on the internet. Be careful what your eyes see. Because what you look at will quickly pull you out of delight into duty. It'll quickly affect your heart and cause you to start thinking and behaving in different ways. Often duty is the product of shame. We're actually making penance for the things we've done wrong. A lot of the religious structure and religious history is framed around the idea of penance. Or you have to do something to pay for the failure that you had. And that whole penance mindset locks the church into duty and keeps us out of delight. It's time for that mindset to be broken over us as a people. So they're longer, no longer caught and trapped in that way of thinking. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see. <laughs> he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Phil spoke on this a couple weeks ago. Just that revelation of the fear of the Lord, that the fear, you're to delight in the fear of the Lord. That whole revelation, that surprise brought us that the fear of the Lord literally goes before us. What if the body of Christ believed that the fear of the Lord was going before us as we stepped into this next season? I think we're in for one of the most remarkable times in all of history. We're watching things happen in the nations. We're watching things happen in churches. We're watching God begin to break into parts of society that we never thought he would be involved. Get ready, church. We're in for one of the greatest shifts in all of history. Let's stand up together. Not a lot about the harvest. Ministry team, come down, please. But I just want us to make a stand this morning that we're going to move out of duty and into delight. So this is the invitation today. I want us first, every one of us in the room, to just put our hands out like this. I want us to surrender. If you're a Baptist, surrender to Lordship. If you're Pentecostal, surrender to the baptism of the Spirit. You need both. You might as well get a twofer out of this one. Just right now is an act of your will. Say, God, I'm laying down my will and I'm surrendering to your will. So Holy Spirit, come across this room right now. Just release in us the power of your presence. Release in us a desire to lay down the way it's been and pick up 
a new direction. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Now I believe there's some in this room who as I've shared, you really recognize that a lot of your life has been dictated by duty, not delight. And if you need help breaking that this morning, I want to invite you to come down and we're going to pray for you down the front here. Ministry team will lay hands on you. And let's just make a deliberate decision this morning that we're breaking out of duty and we're going to live fully in delight. So if that's you, just come right now, quickly. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come, Holy Spirit. We just make a decision at this moment to shift out of the way it's been and into the way you desire. If you're watching online right now, I just really challenge you to just right now in your home, right where you are, would you just raise your hands with me right now and I want to pray for you. I just say, Lord Jesus, for everyone listening to this right now, Father, show us how to break out of the cycles that have held us captive. Show us how to get out of the mindsets that have kept us so bound in duty that we weren't able to demonstrate and allow your life to flow through us. But Father, this day we surrender to your call in our life. This day we give you our will and we say not my will but yours. Lord, your word says that if we delight in you, you'll give us the desires of their heart. So we choose to do the first things first and we delight in you fully expecting that you will fill our hearts with your desires so that we can walk in obedience to you. And we just speak that into every home listening right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.